Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. We are in the middle of a series called The Table, The Table. Now, when I heard that we were going to be doing this series and it was all going to be about sitting around a table and eating, I was like, this is my series. If there was ever a series, this was it. I felt the Spirit of God all over this thing. And I was like, yes, we are going to do this. And we are really looking uh, at the book of Luke. And what's interesting about the book of Luke is that Luke's gospel, half of it takes place around a table. Half of the book of Luke takes place around the table. Now, let me tell you something. When we look at Jesus and we see him eating that much, I mean, that is a God that I want to follow. I'll tell you right now. Any God that's ready to eat that much, I'm like, yes, I'm for you. I'm so happy because this is such a great place. But really, this message is to inspire all of us to see our tables go from a common place to a sacred place. What, what hopefully, as, you've, as you have heard the messages and the installments before this one, you started to get the feeling and know that the meal is a message, that food has a function, right? And that there is something special that happens when you gather together and you eat and you converse and you talk and you open up your hearts and you open open up your homes, something happens. You know, it's interesting because society feels like it's getting worse, not better. And in all of the attempts that culture has tried to make, humanity continues to spiral downwards, right? Hate, stress, angst, injustice, depression, violence. And what is Jesus doing about it? Well, you might be surprised to find out what that answer is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue to look in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And it reads like this. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, twelve came to, the twelve came to him, which were the twelve disciples, came to him and said, let's send the crowd away. They're, they're, they're hungry, so let's send them away to the surrounding villages and countrysides to find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. So unless we go and buy food for all the crowd, and there was about 5,000 men there. But he said to the disciples, well, have them sit down in groups about 50 each. So the disciples did so, and everybody sat down. And then taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 12 
basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This morning, I want to kind of go through this message, and I'm going to bring up four, four things, four things. One is the bread of revolution for note takers. Second is the bread of revelation. Third is the bread and relation. And fourth is the bread and redemption. So the bread and revolution, the bread and revelation, the bread and relation, and the bread and redemption. That's a lot of bread. I almost thought of calling this name, the, the title of this sermon, Carbs for Christ or something like that, <laughs> you know. So I was like, hey, let's do it, you know, or what, what was it? It was like wheat and why and rye, oh my, or something like that. I don't know what I was going to do, but something like that. But anyway, <laughs> number one, the bread and revolution, revolution. It's really interesting because as we read through this text, and this is a familiar passage for those who maybe church has been your tradition and you kind of grew up in church and maybe you went to Sunday school or some kind of kids uh, class and, and you learned about Jesus taking fish and bread and multiplying it, right? And, and when you see this scene, it looks incredible. I don't know how you picture in your head. Maybe, you know, you see like the hills of the Shire with hobbits running around or, you know, or, but it sounds almost like, you know, you get the warm and fuzzies reading this because it's you can almost see Jesus like having picnic. I mean, isn't that what it looked like? Like everyone's having a picnic. You can see the checkered red and white cloths out and, and it just feels great. But actually, I don't want you to visualize it that way because that's not what it was about actually at all. See, this text in its historical context tells us something actually quite different. You see, when Jesus Christ left the, the villages and the town of Galilee and crossed the lake in order to go and find peace and quiet, he actually went to a remote part, and this was a rural part. It was the hill district, and this, uh, in this hill district, this was actually the hotbed of revolutionary resistance to the Roman Empire rule. It was in the hill country, it was remote, and this is where all of sort of the, the rural regions, all of the, if you will, freedom fighters went to kind of get away, to hide out from the Roman uh, rule, you know, and so if you will, these were like the, the guerrilla warfare, they, they were there, they were hiding, they were holding out in these hills. That's where Jesus went, you see. Very different. This was the place where everybody who was sympathetic to, sympathetic to the zealots were, were, were at. The, the zealots were, was a movement, and the zealots stood for the, the violent overthrow of Roman rule. That's what they wanted. They, they, they were all about God believing that violently he was going to overthrow this Roman rule. And this is where Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, all of a sudden, this enormous crowd out of the middle of nowhere shows up. It says 5,000 men, and, and, and really all the commentators agree that what that really means is 5,000 men that represented men of households. So there really was about fifteen to 20,000 people there. Imagine that. All of a sudden, just showing up, right? And you have to ask, well, what were they doing? Why, why did they come why were they there? How did, why, why is it that this crowd gathered in the middle of nowhere? What's interesting about this story is that you'll actually find it recorded in several Gospels. And what's great is when you read, the, that when you read this account in different Gospels, each one brings about a different aspect to the story that makes the story more rich, more robust. So I would encourage you to do that. And even though we're in Luke, in John and his Gospel, 
basically lets us know that, listen, these people were there because they were looking for a a new king. They were looking for someone to come in um, and to overthrow. They were looking for a revolutionary leader. And Jesus shows up and they come out. Why? Because they wanted a revolution. That's what they wanted. They wanted a revolution, you know? Now, now, just to remind you, just before this, you, uh, this story, we read about King Herod and how King Herod was boasting how he beheaded John the Baptist. So, so it's no wonder, right, that this vivid depiction of the most depressive, exploitive kind of imperial rule, no, no wonder they yearned for a different leader, And so here's Jesus, and he's in the the center of this revolutionary fervor of this whole region. And they wanted him to be their revolutionary leader. They were tired of the way things were going. They wanted him to lead the revolt. That's what they were after. That's what they were after. That's the kind of Jesus they wanted. And in many ways, that's the kind of Jesus we want. We look at the world and the society that we live in, And we're like, Jesus, do something. We want a revolutionary leader. We we want him to overthrow, right? Of course, that's what we want. See, and and let me just say this. Society, they they want Jesus. They they, they want a Jesus. They, They want Jesus, but they want a Jesus that will do things when they want it done and how they see fit. That's what they want. That's what they want. They don't mind a Jesus as long as Jesus conforms and acts and reacts in the ways that they want to see Jesus do. Then they're good. Can I ask you a question? (laughs) Thank you. Was there a time where maybe you were disappointed in how Jesus responded? Was there a time where maybe you were upset or frustrated Maybe you felt depleted because God did not act in a way that you wanted him to act. Maybe it was the healing of a loved one. Maybe you were praying not to get laid off and you got laid off. Whatever the situation is, was there a time where you got frustrated because God did not act the way you thought he should act? Well, let me just say this, write this down. I dethrone God from my life if I demand that he always acts in ways to satisfy my ideas. I'll say this again. I dethrone God from my life if I demand that he always acts in ways to satisfy my ideas. See, Jesus did actually come to bring a revolution. He actually came to bring a revolution. Just not the kind of revolution they were expecting. See, because they did not just need a revolution, but they also needed a revelation. Part two, bread and revelation. You're like, ooh, part two already. Don't get too excited. There's four parts to this sermon, baby. (laughs) Bread and revelation. So they're they're coming to Jesus because they're looking for Jesus to be a militant leader. That's what they're looking for. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows why they're coming. And now that you know why they're there, and now that you know that Jesus knows why they're there and how he sees them and that he sees them in that way, you begin to really understand why verse 11 in this particular passage is absolutely shocking. 
Because in verse 11... When, when, when they saw that they wanted a revolutionary leader, when, when they saw that, that they wanted him to come and, 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 and liberate them from oppression, what did he do? He began to teach the gospel. Strange. Do you see that? You see how he, he responds? He begins to preach and to teach the gospel. Now, now, now look, in, in remote rural parts of the Middle East, when, when their disciples come to them and they say, liberate us from oppression, well, what do they do in those times? When, when they're ready to have a, a revolution, what do they do? Well, well they, they pass out weapons. They, they start weapon training. But Jesus gives out his word and bread. Instead of weapon training, Jesus gives his disciples bread distribution training. Bread distribution training. See, this was the revolution. Jesus was bringing a revolution. He just wasn't bringing it in a way that they were anticipating. And notice, he doesn't just give bread. No, no, no. Not, not just bread, right? But he gives miraculous bread. Don't miss this. It's very important. Let, let me ask you a question. Why does Jesus do miracles? It's a very important question. Why does Jesus do miracles? I mean, and in general, what do miracles mean in general, right? Now, we live in a society where people will do spectacular things, special effects, tricks, what have you, simply to be spectacular. That's the part. That's the purpose. And so it makes perfect sense for us to assume that when Jesus does miracles, well, that's the reason he's doing them as well, right? It, it, we think, oh, Jesus is doing miracles, so that way he can say, like, look what I can do, Ooh. right? That's what we do. We're like, oh, look at how great and powerful he is. You know, he says, nothing up this thing, not bread, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's what we think. But if that's the main reason that Jesus did miracles, then come on, you and I can come up with better ideas than taking, you know, some loaves and making more bread, right? I mean, surely we can come up with some better ideas on how God can show his power than that, right? Maybe he should have made all 20,000 of them levitate and, and did some loop-de-loops across the Galilean Sea or something. I mean, that would have been, right? Or fireballs out of his fingertips, choo-choo, right? I mean, that, I mean, think about it, you know? Or one snap of his fingers, he could have taken his audience and had them travel through time, you know? Or, or maybe call down a, a, a shooting star and he hops on it and rides around Jerusalem or something. That would have been a display of his power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But guess what? He never does that, does he? He never does those things. Why? Why not? Because his main point is not to get across the naked fact of his power. The point of his miracles is to show the redemptive purpose of his power. You and I, as modern people, we think of miracles mainly as spectacles, and that's it, right? Suspensions of the natural order. That, that, that's what we think miracles are. But see, miracles demonstrate that Jesus is no happier with how the world is now than we are. 
this fallen, corrupt universe. And because of sin, it has, it has become unnatural. It has become twisted. You see. And, and, and miracles are, are Jesus, not, not suspensions of natural order, but they are showing restoration, you see. German philosopher uh, Moltmann put it this way. He says, Jesus' healings are the only true natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Do, do you see what he's saying? In other words, what miracles do is they give us a glimpse of a world where there is no pain and there is no sickness and there is no hate. You see, they're pointing to a new heaven and a new earth that Jesus Christ is going to bring at an infinite cost to himself in which there will be no disease and, and no death and no hunger and no poverty and no injustice. Miracles point to a reality of a future of what will be, you see. To know that someday we are going to be eating bread in the new heaven and a new earth. That the Bible talks about a marriage supper of the Lamb with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That, that there will be a place where there will be no more perishing. and That we will not die and there will be perfection. See, to know that we are going to have bread in the new heaven and the new earth. The knowledge of that. The guarantee of that is bread for your soul now. The guarantee of the bread of the future is bread for your soul now. It's hope. It's strength. It gives you what you need to face the world. Verse 17 says, They ate and they were satisfied, and, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over, demonstrating that there is more than enough. More than enough. These baskets were filled with leftovers of broken pieces to remind them of what is to come to give them hope in a hopeless situation. How do you know that, Pastor Roger? Well, because Mark 6 lets us know that after they gathered the pieces and put them in baskets, that Jesus sent the disciples to cross the sea again. And when they crossed the sea, he went out to pray. But, but the disciples faced a huge hurricane, and, and there was this storm that was on the sea. And they, 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 they thought they were going to die, you know. And, and, and it was terrible. And then, and then Jesus comes walking on the water, right? That's a whole sermon in itself. But, but the point is, is that when he's done, he gets on the ship, and the hurricane stops, and he looks at them, and, 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 and he talks to them. And it's something interesting, because there it says this. It says that the disciples had forgotten about the bread and the fish. You see, they were supposed to, those baskets were supposed to be reminders. Reminders that they have hope even in hopelessness. Hope even in hopelessness. And just like the bread was supposed to bring hope to them then, it's supposed to bring hope to us now. The hope of a future. The hope of the future. Because it helps you face everything. Because your belief about the future affects how you think and behave now. Oh, I, I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you. If you knew for sure, certain, guaranteed that you had 24 hours to live, oh, that would change. That would change how you behave, how you act, how you think. If you had a guarantee of a future, it always changes. Your belief of what will happen changes how you behave and think now. 
you see. And when you grasp the revelation of this type, this type of revelation that Christ is bringing, you soon discover that this kind of revelation has a lot to do with relationships. This kind of revolution has a lot to do with relationships. It's not just any ordinary revolution, but it's about relationships. Point three, bread and relationships. Bread and relationships. Have you ever been in a service where the preacher was preaching so long that you got hungry? <laughs> yeah? That doesn't take that long for me, trust me. <laughs> like 15 minutes in, I'm like, I'm all ready for my, uh, you know, second lunch, let's go. <laughs> it doesn't take long. Well, Jesus was preaching, and, and while he was giving the gospel, he was talking for quite a long time, and people began to get hungry. And so Jesus went into overtime, and people's stomachs were growling, and the disciples were like, hey, listen, everybody's getting hungry, and, and it's getting late, and so I'll tell you what, what they, they, they actually make what I think is a perfectly reasonable suggestion, and Jesus deliberately makes an absolutely irrational suggestion. They make a, a perfectly reasonable suggestion, but Jesus makes deliberately an absolutely irrational suggestion. Because they said, hey, lay, hey, hey, listen, let's dismiss everybody. I mean, there's, you know, 15, 20,000 people here. Let's dismiss them so that way they can go and they can eat and they can rest and they can get what they need, right? And this is what's interesting because notice verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, you give them something to eat. Excuse me? I mean, can you imagine? You go to Jesus, hey, listen, there are 15, 20 you know, people here. Like all these thousand people, they need to eat. And he says, okay, you feed them. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? You say, well, you're asking us to do the impossible. I mean, that's what they would, you know, what are you talking about? But, but of course, that's the whole point, isn't it? See, Jesus Christ says, until you see what I'm calling you to do is impossible, and, and, and you're absolutely unqualified to do it. You need to see that. You need to see that. Because Jesus didn't have to do it that way, Right? He could have been like, you know, Professor Dumbledore and started just calling down bread and, you know, wizarding around. And you know what I mean? He could have done that, right? For those of you who aren't fans, we could do, you know, Gandalf or whatever else you want to say, you know. He could have done it, right? He could have done whatever he wanted. He could have had angels come down and, and, and bake bread in front of them if they wanted to. He could have done whatever he wanted to. Open up his little, you know, magic sub shop or something, you know? Be like, subs for everybody. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He could have, but he doesn't, right? That's not what he does. First of all, I want you to notice that he, what he does is he works with the food that they have. Remember, he says, well, well, check and see what you got. And, and, and if you remember the story, you know, uh, what it lets us know is that this little boy uh, ended up having, you know, some bread and some fish. That's all they got for the whole crowd. He says, listen, I want to work with what you have. And so he uses the food that they have, which is inadequate. 
right? He uses their food, but it's inadequate for the job. That's not enough. Then only as the disciples go out with this inadequate food is it multiplied. Notice that? Only as they go out does Jesus actually meet their needs. His power only happens while the disciples are serving bread. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. Listen, God has a plan and you have a part. God has a plan and you have a part. Now, for many of you, that intimidates you because not only was the food inadequate, but they were inadequate. And that intimidates you because you don't feel adequate. When we start talking about opening up your homes and, and, and being hospitable, and what does it look like not just to love God, but to love your neighbor, and not just to have it on a bumper sticker, but to actually do that? And what does it look like to love people well and to care for people? And what does it look like to build relationships? And what, what, when we start talking that way and we start, we start challenging you that way and, and, and the gospel starts coming and penetrating your heart in such a way, it becomes intimidating because you're like, wait a minute, I'm just as broken as they are. Right? How is imperfect me supposed to go to them? Right? So he uses not just inadequate food, but inadequate people. Look what one commentator has to say. He says this. It's not God's intention that we should be in ourselves adequate to our tasks. Rather, he wants that we should be inadequate if only we accept the tasks which we think are ad adapted to our powers, we are not responding to the call of God. The church is always going to be in a crisis. Do you see that? The church is always in a crisis and always will be. There will be difficulties, limitations, problems, lack of people, lack of money, right? Menacing outlook, endless misunderstandings and misrepresentations. We are not only to do our work despite these things, they are precisely the conditions, the, the, the conditions request for these things. Yeah. Do you see that? Th these, are the, these are the requisites. These, the, these are the prerequisites. This, this is what's required. This is, this is how things should be. It, 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 your inadequacy shows, demonstrates that that's exactly what is needed because that's where, God power, that's where God's power comes in. That's where his love comes in. That's where leaning on him and who he is and understanding the cross and the gospel, you see. Bread. Miraculous Bread. All the problems that are difficult, all the limitations, all the impossibilities, we not only are supposed to do our work that Jesus gives us in spite of those things, but they are prerequisites for them. Only in being inadequate are they adequate. Only when you know that you're inadequate and you do them anyway, and you say, yes, I'll do it anyway. Only when you know that it's going to take a miracle but that's what Jesus calls us to do, isn't it? Yes. A miracle. A miracle. That's what this series is about. For you to open your homes, to invite people to your table, to sit with them and build relationships. That they might not only eat bread, but meet the one who is the bread of life. You see. 
I remember in, when my dad died and we had to, my sister and I were separated and we went to foster home. And I remember many times this would happen. We'd be in our foster home and in our foster home, half of the beds were like emergency beds. And so it, it was sort of a permanent slash halfway house type of situation. So half of our beds were permanent and I was one of those. And then half of the beds were um, not permanent and they would kind of be switching out. And so sometimes we would, you know, the kids would come in all sorts of different times and stuff. But what would be interesting is we would always sit around the table for meals, always. And my foster parents were big on that. And, and, um, and it was great because there was all sorts of things that would happen at those tables. But what would be interesting to see is that sometimes some of the foster kids would come in and sometimes you would see them maybe sneak a roll or two and put it in their pocket, right? Sometimes you'd see them put some extra food in a napkin, wrap it up and hide it away. Because especially being their first time there, they didn't know that there was going to be breakfast the next day. You know, this is why the school system is so important because the school system provides meals for some kids and that's when they're going to eat, you know. And it was interesting to see how at this table, lives would be transformed. How at one time when we were coming in and we would be broken and we'd be hurting and angry and scared and nervous and worried. But after a few weeks of eating at the table, we would begin to smile and joke and laugh, open up about our problems. We were able to ask difficult questions, have conversations all around the table. And you know what's crazy is being around that table has really helped us to discover who we are. There was something about being at that table that helped us understand our identity and what it meant to be in community, what it meant to be loved, what it meant to be valued. I wonder who needs to sit at your table. I wonder who's broken. And maybe all they need to do is have a cup of coffee with you. Yeah. Bowl of soup, plate of enchiladas. <laughs> right? I wonder what that would look like. I wonder how fascinating that would be. Notice Jesus didn't go and, and, and deliver the bread himself. He could have done that, right? Oh, sure. He could, have, he could have done it all at once. He could have went, boop, now everybody has bread in front of them, right? And everybody would be like, oh, Jesus served me bread. That's not what he does, does he? He uses inadequate, broken disciples. Yeah. Oh, oh, he, do, he does that with his birth as well. Remember that? Remember that? Here, shepherds, right? Shepherds, the, the, the lowest people on the, uh, on the social uh, uh, totem pole, if you will. They, they, they were at the bottom uh, of the rank. Shepherds, right? And, and when it comes to telling uh, that Jesus' birth is here, what, what do they get? They get angels. Remember that? There they are, you know, with, with their sheep. And, and all of a sudden, angels appear. Yeah. And say, Jesus, the Savior is born, celebrate, you know, and they about had a heart attack, you know. They get angels. And then they said, now go and tell everybody. See, the shepherds got angels. Everybody else got shepherds. Bread and relationships. 
You are the distributors of the bread. God has called us, God has called me, God has called you to show people where to get it, how to get it, and what kind of bread we actually need. What kind of bread we actually need. Bread and redemption, part four. That's the bread we need. The bread that God gives us, the bread of Christ isn't just bread, is it? It's broken bread. Well, that's what we need, broken bread. See, as long as bread remains intact, it might smell amazing. It might, you might feel the warmth of this freshly baked bread. It might, it might look absolutely wonderful. But if you are hungry, if you need nutrients, if you are about to die, if you are on starvation, that bread does nothing for you until it breaks. Sliced, cut, torn, ripped apart. Only then can it meet your needs. See, Jesus, he's not just the bread of life. He doesn't just offer you bread. He offers you the bread you need. He offers you broken bread. Broken bread. And it's there that we find identity. Do you remember the movie Hook? You guys remember that movie? Anybody see that movie? Okay, great. Three of you win. You're not going to get this then. but. But anyway, the whole point of the movie Hook is that Peter Pan has grown up. He's an adult. And he has completely forgotten what it, what, what, who he was. He has completely forgotten. He, does, he has completely forgotten about the fact that he is Peter Pan. He has no idea. And so, and so Grandma Wendy is there, and she's, you know, old, I don't know, 100, 200 years old, whatever she is. You know, she's an old, old lady, right? And, uh, and, and so she's telling Peter, Peter, you're really Peter Pan. You know, she says this, thing, right? And so, they, and so what happens? You know, well, Tink shows up, right? And Julia Roberts, she shows up, you know, and, and she's like, we're going to make you remember. And so they go off to Neverland, right? And so here he's an adult, and they get there and they find the lost boys and and the lost boy's job is to help him remember who he really was you remember this remember that okay great yeah so rufio okay right and so they're there and and they're and they're doing this whole thing and i mean they're working he's like at boot camp right i mean he is tired he is working out but he cannot remember who he really is until this one scene where he begins to remember and it's a scene where he comes in, he's tired, he's beat up, and, and he's so hungry, and he's ready to eat, and he smells the food. And he looks, and there's a huge table, and there's all sorts of pots and covered plates all over the table, and it looks great. And he sits down, and he's hungry, he's ready to go for it. And he lifts up the lids, everybody lifts up the lids, and he looks, and, and there's nothing there. Absolutely invisible. But he's looking at the Lost Boys, and Lost Boys are just eating. They're just scarving, and it's, it, and it's like they're just eating air. You know, they're licking. The, I mean, they're doing all sorts of stuff. And, and he's like, what is going on? And, and, and they, they tell him, you have to play. Come on, play. Use your imagination. This, remember who you are. And as soon as he does, and all of a sudden, you see this bountiful table full of all sorts of delicious food. You see, there's something that happens at the table with Christ where we come together and we begin to understand our identity of who we are in him. Because he's not just bread. He's the bread that we need, which is broken bread. You see, verse 16 says, he takes the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gives thanks and he breaks it. Literally in the Greek, it says he blessed and he broke. Two verbs. 
He blessed and he broke. Later on in the book, when we see Jesus at the Lord's Supper, which we're about to partake in just a few moments here, that night before, it stands up, it stands up, and he says, this bread is my body. And those same two Greek verbs, he blesses and he broke. You see? See, the fish and the loaves was pointing to this. <laughs> to this. To the communion. To the cross. See, Jesus is saying, I didn't come just to make you good. I didn't just come to make you good people, nice people, a good mom, a good dad, a good neighbor, a good employee, a good boss. Oh, no. I came to do something far more radical than that. He goes, I came to make you live, to make you live. So he says, just like this broken bread, my body will be broken on the cross. And when you see this, let me tell you, you cannot stay the same. It will radically transform you. It, it, from inside out, you'll have a metamorphosis that, 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 that you will not be able to describe because everything changes. You say you want real change. You look at society and say, Jesus, what are you doing about it? How are we going to get hearts transformed? Let me tell you, it happens one meal at a time, one drink at a time, one order of coffee at a time, one bowl of soup, one steak, one thing of tri-tips, whatever it is, it happens. You open up your home, you open up your table so that people will open up their hearts to meet Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you do. I pray, Holy Spirit, that today that you will be glorified, that you will be magnified. We thank you, my King. Thank you, Lord. Because you are worthy and you are awesome of all praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.